so I'm not supposed to be shouting out to people. Oh, <laughs> I'm very intrusive. What? I'm very intrusive. I'm sorry. You're There's people me. in the back. You are <laughs> Is this better? Oh my gosh, it's like a dentist right here. Sorry. Right. Uh, I have to shout out to my peeps from Woodbridge. Woo! <laughs> All four of you. Couldn't get enough of me, right? So you had to drive all the way up 123. I called uh, Woodbridge when I was there. I was there for three years. I called it Taco Kwan. Okay? Because all these delicious, you know, taco places around there. It's so great. Um, and it's funny that only people from Woodbridge think that's funny. So it's uh, kind of sad. Now, I want to share, to begin, a quote from St. John Vianney. And he said, The tavern is the devil's own shop. The school where hell retails its dogmas. The market where souls are bartered. The place where families are broken up, where health is undermined, and where quarrels are started and murders committed. So, don't forget to tip your, tip your waiter. Now, when I was at... Um, our Lady of Angels. Uh, this fellow came up to me after Mass, an older guy, 60s, okay? And he said, Father, that was such a great homily, and he spoke to my heart, and I think, I, there's something I really want to talk to you about. And I said, okay, well, let's make an appointment. So I made an appointment earlier on in the week. And the fellow came in, and I showed him into my office, and we sat down. And do you know what this guy wanted to talk to me about? What he wanted from a priest? He wanted dating advice. <laughs> advice, okay? So he told me about this 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 liaison that he had been engaged in with a woman who's around his age, and both of them had married like five or seven times before, and you know, it was all just all it was just I'm not sitting there thinking this is just getting better and better and better. So like, how many annulments are we going to have to have here if they actually want to get married in the church? But no, he just kind of wanted, you know, what we all want. He wanted like a companionship, right? And I gave him the best advice that I could, because I have to tell you all of this, you know, because I just, I have to. So they were in this re sort of relationship, this pseudo kind of dating romantic relationship. And then she did this thing that sometimes happens in relationships where she said, I just want to be friends. I don't like you that way, okay? Um, has that ever happened to you? <laughs> Or is it just me? Uh, and then she said, I just want to be friends. But then she kept on texting him. And she kept on saying, let's meet for lunch. Let's do this. Let's do that. And he said, Father, what do I do? I want to be with her. And I want to be with her. And I want to be in this relationship with her. But she doesn't want this. But she still wants all the other things. Like you, know, the text messages where she's saying, I'm thinking of you. And this and that and the other thing. And I said, I gave her the same advice that I would give to a 16-year-old boy. I said, just be done with this. I mean, for crying out loud, just walk away. I mean, you've made it clear what she wants, and then she's saying she still wants all these, uh, you know, the comforts of uh, being in a relationship, but you're actually being in a relationship with you. So walk away. Let her figure out what it is that she wants, you know? And um, so uh, he said, at the end of all of this, and that's the same dating advice I would give to a 16-year-old. I mean, wouldn't you give that same dating advice to a 16-year-old? This guy was like 62, right? And so at the end of this whole conversation, it took way too long. It took like an hour and a half. And I, I'm not sure, Jesus doesn't even get an hour and a half of my time. And so this guy with taking advice. And he, uh, he says, well, thanks, Father. This is really helpful. You know, she's going out of town for a couple of days. So maybe I'll just let her be for that time. And then when she comes back in town, then I'll, 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 I'll see if she wants to have lunch again. I'm like, dude, did you listen to a word that I said? Uh, and he didn't. Yeah, he didn't. So in that respect, he really was just like a 16-year-old boy. Because okay? um, they don't listen either. They really don't. Um, but, you know, the point is that one of these things that, uh, about us, the way that God has made us, is we're made for love. We're made for communion. We want to give our hearts to someone in love. We want to be loved by someone. This is part of us. All of us. Right? And we've got to understand this about ourselves. 
No, that's it's um, the fact that we're all made for this beautiful communion. As I refer to my notes and move my head, this is all going to be weird, and they're recording this, and it's all going to be inconsistent and awful and all of that. Um, so I'm sorry. You're going to have to cut this whole chunk out of the recording. I'm so vain, you know. When I record my own homilies, I actually go back and take out all the ums and ahs and all this stuff. And then gonna, if, if the laughter isn't loud enough, I juice it up. In, in, um, in um, uh, garage band, whatever it is, I'm like, turn the, turn the volume up on that. So, but hey, we're in a pub, you know. I mean, what uh, else do you expect? Like, if you wanted Father Scalia, you would have asked for Father Scalia, right? He's going to hear this and, and do it. <laughs> okay, so if we don't understand this about ourselves, then we're going to have all kinds of confusion in our life, right? Um, we're going to have a purposelessness uh, in our lives. And so as we're growing in grace and virtue, then to understand this about ourselves means that if we have not yet entered into our vocation or become, we've started immediately discerning our vocation, then the best thing that we can do is give our hearts to the Lord God. Give our hearts to God. And let God take care of everything else. Okay? Let God be the one who loves us. Let God be the one who builds us up. Right? I mean, we need friendships. We need good, healthy friendships. But how many people do you know flit around from one person to another and it all just implodes and it's stupid and everybody's heart gets broken and all of that? There was a parish where the young adult group, you know, I won't say what parish it was, but the young adult group, uh, and they kind of all, they, I guess they just all sort of dated around with each other. And then they all dumped each other. You know, and this all happened in the space of like a year and a half. And then the whole group like imploded. And so no more trips to the bowling alley, you know, because everybody hated each other. You know, um, all these broken hearts. It was so sad. But this is the thing. we got to understand this about ourselves. But giving our hearts to the Lord, that he can prepare our hearts to really discern the vocation and enter into it. Okay? Now, how much confusion and... Um, frankly, heartbreak would be avoided if young people, you know, um, high schoolers, middle schoolers, if they had this notion that, hey, I've got these desires, I want to give myself to someone in love, I want to be loved by someone, and if they didn't, you know, try to find that connection, you know, um, in any way that they could, uh, social media, right? Now, I am, like, upset and wounded deep down in my priestly heart if one of my posts on Facebook doesn't get a mere 114 likes, okay? Um, but, but, you know, anyway, then I get over it. You know, I'm like, well, you know, there's always tomorrow. There's always tomorrow. Um, but, you know, this is the thing. We've got to let God be the one who loves us. We've got to let God build us up, right? Um, it's so very important that we understand this about ourselves, okay? Um, we're, we are made for this communion with God and with each other what we are made for, okay? So, um, the second thing is that the highest powers of our soul are our intellect and our will, the very highest powers of our soul. Now, we kind of live in a world where feeling is everything, okay? And what we subjectively might identify as or identify with, that that is like the guiding light. Do you know what I'm talking about here? You know, can you please nod your heads? Okay. <laughs> Um, so that if somebody's like, oh, I feel, you know, whatever. I can't even think of a funny example. I wish I could right now. Um, I, um, well, I, I guess I'll put it in this, in, this, in, in this terms for you. When I was, when I finally got the word at Our Lady of Angels that I was moving, I'm the chaplain at Paul VI High School now, which is yeah. so great. I got a shout out to my other peeps, um, Ashley and Tom, who teach at Paul VI. They called you out. They are wonderful. Everybody at Paul VI is wonderful. Um, and you can tell everybody at Paul Six I've said that. But, um, so when I was moving from Our Lady of Angels, uh, I said to uh, the office manager, I said, look, I've got so much to do. I can't, I mean, we're beyond the time where I can make appointments or take walk-ins from people unless it's an absolute emergency. So I heard, so I had this, you know, talk with her, and uh, then she went up in the front office to tell the other people. She said, if anybody calls for Father Schultz or comes in and wants to see him, then you tell them that he's in transition and he cannot meet with them right now. Okay? And I said, can we please change the way we're expressing that? Because I am not in transition. I mean, I know who I am. You know, the fact is, the fact is I'm moving. 
and, and all the people who wanted to, you know, come and meet with me or talk with me in those three years that I was at Our Lady of Angels, that they could have called. You know, they can't wait until the last two weeks that I'm there and expect that I'm going to move the sun, the moon, the stars, and my books to meet with them, right? Um, so, but this whole notion of uh, identifying as, or our feelings being like the barometer for everything, you know, we, we don't justify everything in our life just by the way we feel, right? Like, say you feel this murderous rage, okay, that you really want to kill somebody. I mean, don't you step back from the ledge, you know? I mean, you do, right? But otherwise, any other sort of feelings, like, well, I feel that way, so it must be good. Well, no, it's not. You know, and speaking of murderous rage, this priest friend of mine, somebody cut him off on the road, and he was a sort of obscene hand gesture that he made. I'm just waving my arm around in some <laughs> gesture that you can't, you can't see what I can't like telegraphing the gesture that he made. But then, as, she, as this, I shouldn't even say, say pronouns now, um, <laughs> as the person, the other driver who cut him off looked, that he, after making this obscene hand gesture thing, he covered up his collar like this. <laughs> and he's driving down the road, like, covering his collar like that. Um, but so our feelings are a terrible barometer, are a terrible barometer, aren't they? I mean, how many of us wake up uh, in, in this, with just this level of despair that's like, I can't do this? I mean, is that our guiding light for the whole day? No, we make that heroic, you know, uh, gesture to, to get out of bed and start going, right? You know, so our feelings are a terrible barometer for all these things. The fact is, is that our intellect and our will are the highest powers of our soul. Our intellect that can understand and reason about the good and what is revealed, and our will that can choose it. Okay, now what's so important about this is that when we are tempted, you know, there's that, like, glittery, gl glittery, uh, glittery thing. I hate glitter, by the way. Um, <laughs> Uh, and in fact, I haven't seen a single piece of glitter since I moved to St. Leo. Yeah, it's really great. But Woodbridge was all over the place because of pinks and arrows, you know, and, and fancy dresses for weddings and stuff like that. But anyway, we see this bauble that's this temptation that calls to us and that our heart is drawn, but in the midst of that, that we can still choose the good and we're still free. Uh, we can still know the good and we can still choose it. So is it rational? To think that just because we have a feeling, just we have an urge, a temptation, something like that, that we've got to give in, game over, you know, that we have to choose that? No. We've got to remind ourselves that our intellect, our will, the highest powers of our soul. Um, and St. Francis de Sales, uh, he wrote um, that our will resides in the highest and most spiritual portion of our soul without any other support than God and itself. And while every other faculty or passion of the soul is deserted by the enemy, it always re remains perfect master of itself to yield or not to yield. So we have this freedom that comes from knowing the good and being able to choose it. That is part of us. Okay, so we don't have to be steamrolled every time the devil comes along, you know, pokes us with a plastic fork and says, hey, do this, it's good, it'll be great, make it happen, you know? Well, he's like the used car salesman of all, you know, time, right? Um, so we don't have to cave on those things. Do you understand? Jackie is the only one who is not over there. Okay. Thank you, Jackie. Do you really understand? you get this? Okay, because this might help uh, cut down on the number of confessions that we have to hear. <laughs> And, you know, that would be pretty good. <laughs> that would be good. No, I love the sacrament of confession. It's so great. I have so many funny stories about confession. Can't tell them. <laughs> it's really a funny, funny, funny sacrament. <laughs> okay. So, um... I'll preface the third, this third point by telling you a story. This is how I deal with in marriage prep. And again, at Paul VI High School as the chaplain, I'm not going to be doing a whole lot of marriage prep. <laughs> um, I hope not. Uh, anyway, I can't even imagine like a 16-year-old coming in. A father, a 16-year-old couple, we want to get married. Like, okay, come back and see me in like seven years. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, it, it, it does happen, I don't know if you're aware of this, but couples uh, sometimes will present themselves to a priest to begin the process of marriage prep, and perhaps they are not living uh, the fullness of the Catholic faith. Does that sound 
strange to you? Maybe anybody you know might be in this situation? Okay. Well, it happens all the time. Am I right, Father? Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> Father Carl, are you still here? Can I get an amen? And you just got ordained, right? How much of this have you seen? Okay, so the couple, there's a lovely couple, and, and the first meeting is always like the getting to know you meeting. Okay, let's just talk and say, you know, how'd you meet, all this, all that stuff. I nod my head, I smile, laugh, make them laugh, it's all good, trying to build a relationship, right? But then by the end of the meeting, kind of going to get down to the brass tacks, right? So I got a form in front of me, and they filled it out already, and it's got addresses and names, contact information, all that, and I notice that they, I have noticed already that they're living together, okay? Now, what I will do is I'll make kind of a show of it. You know, as, as I'm looking, I'll be like, look, look, look back, look again. Are you living together? Yeah. Are you sharing a bed? Yeah. Is it a bunk bed? And then they do what you just did, and it takes the edge off enough to be able to talk about that important matter of being chased in advance of one's wedding. Okay, now this third thing, it doesn't have to do with just that. This third thing is about virtue, and that is, if we want to grow in virtue, the surest way is to act as, in a virtuous way. If we want to grow in virtue, then we choose to act in a virtuous way. Because virtue, a virtue is an act of the will, a habitual act of the will. So if we want to grow in it, we can't just pray, Lord, make me more loving, make me more loving, make me more loving, or make me more patient. That's my favorite thing. Lord, make me more patient. Make me more patient. And then everybody you know, uh, starts pushing your buttons left and right. And what do you do? You're like, Lord, I asked you to make me more patient. And Jesus is like, well, I gave you all these chances to choose it. You know, and you guys have heard that before, right? I mean, patience is a pretty good example, but it goes with all of the other virtues as well. But we've got to choose it. You know, we've got to choose it. And then we grow with it. And then it becomes easier. And then it becomes what the philosophers say is connatural. It becomes part of us. Again, what we are made for. Now, C.S. Lewis, in Mere Christianity, he writes, do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. Because again, love is an act of the will, right? So you choose it. Now, are there many people in your life that, sh that prove that love is an act of the will? Yeah. I mean, am I right or am I right? right? Choose it. Choose it. Now, I, I mean, of course, I can't talk about specific confessions of specific people, but how many people would come in and how many of you would perhaps come into the confessional, you know, I'm behind the screen, because everybody goes behind the screen, right? Because um, you think in a parish of like 5,000 families that this, the, the priest is going to recognize your voice. Right? <laughs> so everybody wants to be totally anonymous and go behind the screen and all that. But how many times have you said, Father, I'm struggling with this, and I'm struggling with that, I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with that, I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with that. I'm going to stop! Would you just please, just for a moment, stop? What are you striving for? What are you striving for? Now turn it around. Okay, change our thinking, you know, about it. You know, oh, my father, I'm struggling with chastity. Oh, that doesn't sound like much of a struggle. Ooh. Uh, but you know what I mean, right? Choose the virtue. Choose the good. Okay, and that's how we grow in that great virtue. So, um... And the fact is, we sow in the flesh, we reap in the flesh. Whether that temptation of the flesh is, uh, whether it is uh, a temptation towards a sin of lust, or whether it's pizza. You know, if we sow in the flesh, we reap in the flesh, truly. Okay, so this is why so many young people wonder why they have so many problems, you know, um, in this regard. What is it that they have been choosing? What is it that they have been doing? What is it that they have been sowing? That's why we have to sow in the spirit to reap, right? But, that, but again, the will being the highest power of our soul, that's what we sow. We choose the good, okay? 
Um, so the one thing that I would add to this is very, very important is that living in friendship with God is not impossible. It is not impossible. The whole world wants to tell you that it's absolutely impossible, and why try? Okay, and those are the people that have settled and said, well, that's not a sin, that's not a sin, that's not a sin. And I was just talking with Father Dufresne and Melissa about this time that I went to confession as a priest, went up to the shrine, um, because, you know, yeah, okay, so I have to go someplace where nobody's going to recognize my voice <laughs> See, we're all the same. <laughs> so I go and I said, Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been one week since my last confession, and I'm a priest. And I go to enumerate my sins, okay? And this fellow, God love him, I, keep, I just say, Well, I did this. That's not a sin. I did this. That's not a sin. I did this. That's not a sin. Father, I told you I'm a priest. You know, I know what sin is. I know that I need to confess these sins. So please, you know, why don't, why don't you let me do my part, okay? And then you do your part. You give me absolution for the sins that I've confessed. That sounds like such a jerky thing, but sometimes you've got to, like, give it to priests, other priests, you know? If the right thing isn't happening, especially in confession. You know, I mean, this poor guy, I went to confession to this guy who was visiting a parish, and he's been a missionary in Japan for like 27 years. So he hadn't given the formula absolution in English in like 27 years. He had just done it in Japanese. Uh, but to, to, to do me a favor, I guess, I don't know, he could have done it in Japanese, it would have been valid. But he um, he did it in English as he remembered, whatever it was, or something like, by the power vested in me, by the, you know, um, Jesuits, uh, or whatever, I, I, I forgive you of all of your sins and give you peace. I'm like, Father, please, just say I absolve you. I absolve you, that's all I want to hear, okay? And then that's the sacraments. <laughs> That's really what we want, right? So, living with friendship with God is not impossible. We are not that broken. We are not that broken. We are not totally depraved. And God's grace is not that weak. We make a mockery of Him if we say that His grace can't strengthen us in the face of temptation to help us live as He wanted us to live, as He made us to live, and as we can live. Okay, so, number four, what we consume consumes us. What we consume, consumes us. Okay, now, you know any super fans in your life? We have any, like, diehard Redskins fans here? Let's go, Penguins. fans, okay. Yeah, okay, good. So, you know... <laughs> So, you know, the, uh, the, the person that goes over the top for their favorite football team, right? They watch it, they can't get enough of it. You know, there's plenty of other examples in life. This is, incidentally, um, why Netflix came about and why it's so successful. You know, because psychologically, you know, as destructive as that binge is, you know, um, that it appeals to us, right? Because we just get sucked into things, don't we? You know, um, What's that joke about Battlestar Galactica? You know, that, um, well, first of all, that happened, they, that came about in seminary, right? And I never watched it in seminary, but there was a hardcore group of guys that did, even though it was, there were parts of it that were absolutely unseemly, okay? Um, and anyway, they couldn't get enough of it. They're like, hey, did you see Battlestar last night? I'm like, no, <laughs> because I have friends. You talk, you know, it's good. In fact, there was a smoking room at St. Charles, that's where I went, a smoking room. Okay, now, I don't want to scandalize anybody here, but, you know, priests, you know, maybe we have a cigar from time to time, so, okay? Yeah. Um, so, there was a smoking room. It was all the way off in this other building, away from everything, but there was a television in there. And so, that's where, where the smoking room was. So, I was sitting there on a Friday night, reading a book, of course, because that's, you know, that's good. You smoke a cigar, read a book, nice and quiet, no people around. And this guy comes in, it's like 8 o'clock. He comes in, he sits in front of the TV. And he doesn't turn it on. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> he said, well, Battle Star's on at 9. I wanted to get my seat. <laughs> I said, okay. Well, I've got to read my book. Five minutes later, he looks at me. He says, would you mind not smoking? <laughs> this is a smoking room. Well, we agreed with the other smokers that they wouldn't smoke during Battle Star Galactica. And I said, look, Battlestar Galactic is not on yet. And it comes out at nine. And I didn't sign on to this non-aggression pact <laughs> with you 
Battlestar Galactica fans. So I'm just gonna say I'm gonna join my cigar and my book until nine. Not mine. Okay, and he didn't like that at all. Uh, but the point is, uh, I don't know if there was a point there. But the point is that these things speak to our nature. Like you can't just have one. Is that, that the Pringles thing? Yeah. You just can't have one? I don't know. I mean, I don't eat food anymore, so... Um, so that, that, that's the thing, is that if we are consuming it, then it's going to become this thing that might become an obsession for us, right? St. Bernard of Clairvaux, as I say, Bernard, because that's an English pronunciation. I know it sounds all snobby and everything like that. Um, he says, what we love, we shall grow to resemble. What we love, we shall grow to resemble. And uh, St. Clair of Assisi, uh, she says, we become what we love, and we love, and, and, love, and who we love shapes what we become. If we love things, we become a thing. If we love nothing, we become nothing. So imitation is not a, little, is not a literal mimicking of Christ, rather it means becoming the image of the beloved, an image disclosed through transformation. This means we are to become vessels of God's compassion and love for others. Okay, now my kind of attitude towards things in life sometimes is if it's worth doing, it's worth overdoing. Okay? Or if it, or far too much is hardly enough. Right? But that is, again, like part of our nature. What we consume consumes us. And incidentally, this is why Jesus gives himself to us, to us in Holy Communion. It's actual food. Food for our bodies and for our souls. It is meant to consume us because we're consuming the love of God. Okay, so please think about that next time that you go to communion. So it doesn't look like this drive-by, you know, in the line, but that you think on, on what you're doing. Um, St. John, um, St. John of Avila, and he said the way we, we should prepare for Mass is think who it is who's coming to us. The Lord God, you know, uh, God eternal who gave himself for us, who opened the gates of heaven for us, and opened his heart for us, he comes to give himself to us. Why? Out of the boundlessness of his love, the perfection of his love, this longing from all eternity to be united with us. So the Eucharist should do something more to us than what we think, you know, uh, what we know, but we won't unless we really meditate on this, okay? But know that what we consume consumes us. Um, now, number five, uh, I guess I have to tell another seminary story for this one, okay? Uh, I, I went to St. Charles, six years. Um, it's hard, it's not, uh, seminary is not supposed to be a piece of cake. The guys who really like seminary, they're like, I love it here, you know, like weirdo, you know? <laughs> um, I, and I was not one of those guys, okay, I wasn't, I came in, you know, um, in my uh, early 30s, um, and you know, I was an all grown up guy. You know, I had uh, I had a job and a house, and uh, you know, paid taxes and everything like that, like adults do. And then I went to seminary. I went in my first semester, came out my first semester. Went in at 31, 32, something like that. Came out my first semester, and I was like 16 again. You know, because I just that's the way that I felt. Like I feel like I'm a baby again. You know, um, but um, I got to the end of seminary, of course, and um, after you know all the ups and downs, all the things, everything that had happened, and all that. Uh, I don't know. I was glad. To, I was so glad to go. Just so glad to be done. Get beginning ordained. Getting on with my life. You know. Um, and of course, in seminary, if you don't have any issues, they find them. <laughs> um, so that was also fun too. And every time, it's like I had this nice—I had this issue that was this great, made great cover for me, cover for all my other issues that remained hidden. Okay, I hope I'm not scandalizing anybody by saying this. But the issue was that I was overweight. Okay, and I'm still—I'm not like a spelt guy. Okay, uh, I'm not—you know—I. Um, I'm not, you know, a super duper athletic guy or anything like that. Uh, but I was once considered a, a very, uh, a very, very fine catch. Okay, it was a very long time ago. Right? Um, I actually went to prom with Elijah's sister, and these jokes are going nowhere. Okay. Um, so anyway, that was the, that was my uh, that was the issue. Okay, so every time I would go to inform my, my formation advisor, you know, how's it going? School's going good. Grades are good. This is that. Get the chapel, all that stuff. We get to the end, he's like, well. You're still fat. And I'm like, yep, I know. So well, why don't you try to do something about that? Okay. 
come back again, you know, three months later. Well, this is good, that's good, that's good, oh, that's good. You're still fat. <laughs> all right, well, try again. Okay, anyway, get to the end of the seminary, all this. And after I got ordained, even I, my, the bishop, Bishop LeBerry, who ordained me, God love him. I got, his, I got, I got a nice, one of the nice pictures of him up in my room now. Um, he, you know what he did? This is like the day before I was getting ordained. We met with him in his, in his home, had dinner with him, all that. And what did he do? He pulled out my formation report from, from my, from my last formation report in my file, like the permanent record from seminary. It's this thick. And he pulls it out and he starts going through it. He says, Well, you're fat. <laughs> No, he totally did not do that. <laughs> I just had to like, I had to, I had to redeem that joke, okay? Um, but anyway, I thought I was all done with formation reports, but there it was, looking at me. Um, so when I, but when, it, when, when I got to the end, before I had moved out, that uh, one of the priests that was new there, he, when we were talking about seminary, I was telling him how tough it was and all that, at least for me personally. And he said, you know, Schultz, because everybody, all my friends call me Schultz. They always call me Schultz. Everybody calls me Schultz. You didn't call me Father Schultz, but everybody called me Schultz. And uh, he said, you know, Schultz, what's cheaply gained for us is cheaply held. What's dearly gained for us is dearly held. Okay? And, and then I thought, why didn't somebody tell me this on the first day? Because seminary would have made sense. You know, life would have made more sense. But it's true. If somebody gives us and gives and gives and gives us stuff that we haven't earned or haven't worked for, what does it mean? Nothing. Nothing at all. Okay? The participation plaque, you know, as wonderful as it is, yeah, he was on that team. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, we had fun, you know? Uh, but kindergarten graduation? You know, I mean, I would go, I mean, I know the other priests here have the same experience. Um, you go to a kindergarten, kindergarten graduation, and first of all, you make an offering. Okay, like, I am offering this time for the souls in purgatory, right? And then souls are flying out of purgatory right over there, uh, going through kindergarten graduation, and the songs and this and that and the other thing, and they get a little diploma and all the snappy pictures of, you know, video of people holding their iPod, up, iPad up like this, taking video. And you're like, hey, children, I'm not going to understand this now, but it is really all downhill from here. <laughs> Like life doesn't get any better than this. It's hard. I mean, it's the cross, right? Um, kindergarten graduation. I don't understand it. Okay. Now, am I on some crusade against kindergarten graduation? No, because that would be unkind. Right? <laughs> Let the kindergartners have it. Maybe someday they'll figure it all out like I did. Okay? So the fact is, is that um, holiness and virtue is not easy. Heaven is not easy. The union that God intends for us with him and with each other is not easy at all. And if it were, then it wouldn't mean anything to us. But Jesus is the one who shows us this about our nature. He really is. Because he is the one who goes to the cross, that goes to the cross for us. And saying that each one of you are worth it. Like I did this for you. Like I would carry that cross and be scourged and mocked and, and crowned with thorns and go all the way to the foot of the cross and, and, and mount that throne. You know, about that throne where I reign for love of you in my suffering, in my death, pouring out my life for you because you are worth it. So he shows us that what is dearly gained is dearly held. That's how dear we are to each, that's how dear we are to him. We've got to understand that. Think about that. The next time that you look at the crucifix, the next time that you receive Holy Communion, Christ shows this to us in our passion. He shows us how dear we are to him. He really does. Okay, now number six might not sound so important, but it kind of is. And that is, it's our activity that drives our attitude, not the other way around. Our activity that drives our attitude, and not the other way around. So how many of us have sat home, you know, think one day, I don't feel like doing anything. I wish I was inspired to do this or that or the other thing, right? Uh, or I'm bored. I love this. Teenagers say this all the time. Or I, like I give a talk. Father, that was boring. No. You are bored. <laughs> well, if you're bored, it's because you are doing something that is boring, okay? Or because you're boring for yourself, right? But if you do nothing, then you'll want to do nothing. And if you're waiting for some blue light to he from heaven to shine down, you're like, ooh, you know, it's time to pray, okay? It's time to do your laundry. It's time 
to flaws. You know, that, that's not what your guardian angel is all about. Okay? That it's our activity that drives our attitude. So we know that sometimes the hardest thing to do is to just begin. Begin. But we've got to start. What's that saying? Once begun, half done? Something like that? Okay? Maybe I'm dating myself even more now saying that. But I mean, I'm 45, so I'm beyond like young adult age. Okay? I hope all of you are. You know, beyond that. I mean, I hope, not, I hope there's nobody here who's beyond that age. Because um, I think it's kind of important, like the young adult thing is like your thing, right? While you still have it, you know, enjoy it. Because someday you're going to be like me, 45. And nobody's going to say, Father, you look so young. I never would have thought you were 45. I'm a very, very 45, 45. Uh, and yeah, nobody's confusing me anymore. I'm like, you know, I'm 45. I'm like, yeah. And uh, a few weeks ago, um, it was amazing. I got carded. I got carded. You know? Um, it's sad. It was, it was because they thought I was trying to get the senior citizen discount. <laughs> No, I just want a glass of wine. <laughs> that's, that's all I want. So it's, um, it's our activity that drives our attitude, not the other way around. Um, now, this, also, this, really ha this really does um, bear upon our prayer. Okay? It's a privilege to pray. And you know, we think, okay, this is like the chore, you know, like this thing that I've got to do. Um, either I'm going to have to confess it or I'm going to feel guilty about it, whatever. Um, but we've got to begin to pray. And if we, and that's way the way we can enter into prayer. Right? So we shouldn't do it just when we feel like it. And we should not do it when we don't feel like it. Because remember, your intellect, your will, the highest power to your soul, choose the good, communion with God. Right? Right? Okay? So St. Rosario Escriva, he writes, you haven't been praying? Question mark. Why? Because you haven't had time? But you do have time. Furthermore, what, work, what sort of works will you be able to do if you have not meditated on them in the presence of the Lord so to put them in order? Without that conversation with God, how can you finish your daily work with perfection? Look, it is as if you claimed you had no time to study because you were too busy giving lessons. Without study, you cannot teach well. Prayer has to come before everything. If you do not understand this and put it into practice, don't tell me you have no time. It is simply that you do not want to pray. Boom. <laughs> Drop the mic. Right? He's, he's, he's so right here. He's so right. Uh, he says, um, it may seem odd to say, pray and pray more now when you are taking in examinations and working harder, but you need prayer. And not just only the habitual prayer is an exercise of devotion, you also need to pray during odd moments to pray between times instead of allowing yourself to turn the page, bing, that's it. Uh, your mind to wander on stupidities. Instead of allowing your mind to wander on stupidities. Instead of allowing your mind to... <laughs> It does not matter if in spite of your effort you do not manage to concentrate or be recollected that meditation may be of greater value than the one that you made with all ease in the oratory. Because if he wrote this, you know, knowing that there's more merit in, before God in just doing this, enter into it that as an act of love, as a sacrifice, than when we feel, or even when we're seeking those consolations, like, oh, I really feel like praying now. I don't know that I've ever said, I even said that in my life. You know, I'm supposed to be holy. I'm supposed to be like a prayer, you know? Um, I'm supposed to be praying for all of you every day. But I don't know, like, whoa, I really feel like praying right now, you know? I mean, maybe there's something I'm really grateful for, but most of the time, honestly, hey, I'm a lot like you, okay? What, 45? That I have to enter into that prayer as an act of will, an act of love. There's more merit in that than when you feel like it. There truly is. Okay. Now, this stuff that I quoted from St. Jose Maria Escriva and all the other stuff that you'll read him in things like The Way, The Fur of the Forge, you know these books? You do? Okay, some heads nodding. This is all gold, pure gold for us. Okay? But you've got to understand something about this before you start reading it. If he wrote all of those things for himself, it's like he's kind of instructing himself, accusing himself. So when he says, don't waste your time with stupidities, you know, I, and I repeated it for emphasis, he was saying that to himself. 
Okay? So this, he had a huge capacity to be honest with himself. It was wonderful. But I think that's also another thing that can make us saints, when we can be honest with ourselves. Now, the last thing. Okay? I want to I I end on a high note here. Uh, this is what's true about our nature. Okay? True about the way that God made us, made all of us. And that is, you can be just as holy as God made you to be. You can be just as holy as God made you to be. There is nothing holding you back from that. Okay, nothing that a little grace and a little virtue can't cure, and actually a lot of time, okay, to grow. Uh, but again, what's our purpose, right? That union with God, to be united with Him and with each other. He wants us to be just as holy as He made us to be. Why don't we focus on that? Okay, instead of thinking, you know, what am I going to do with my life? You know, um, or just if some more of what's God's will for me, that he wants me to live his love. He wants me to live his love with him and with others. He wants me to be just as holy. So let's focus on that instead of waiting for an answer from God. Like, who did you make? Or, you know, God, please show me the path of my future and deliver unto me the woman of my dreams. You know? <laughs> I, don't know you, I don't know if anybody really prays like that. But, um, if I just read your soul, okay, then you can maybe talk later. You can talk about your brain about that. Um, but look, we can, and the devil always wants to convince us that we can't, and it's not worth it. Like you're a piece of garbage or something like that. Well, as I learned, you really said growing up, God doesn't make junk, therefore you're not junk. And then I, I, incidentally, that's all I learned in religious said growing up. Um, but look, we can, we can be saints. We can't be just as holy as God made us to be. We can. So we didn't have to believe in the lies from the devil. Like, you can't do this. It's not worth trying. Don't worry about it. You've got time. All those things that the devil tries to whisper in our ears. We just got to, you know, put our put our hand put our hearts, you know, in uh, the hands of our Lord Jesus Christ, and He will give us that encouragement. Um, it is God's promise to us. Okay, it's not, it's not all up to us. We act like it's all up to us, like it all depends on us. It mostly depends on God. But the fact is we are made for this, made for communion, made for holiness. It is God's promise to us. Um, we're, as he says in, uh, as St. Paul says in Romans, chapter 11, verse 29, this was in the second reading last week, last Sunday, which was just yesterday, right? Um, it seems so long ago today. Um, the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. The gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. What is the gift? By virtue of our baptism. Sons and daughters of God. Sons in the Son. United in the Holy Spirit. That is the gift. The call to be holy. The call to enter more than ever deeply into that life. The call to be perfect as our virtue is perfected. That is all of it irrevocable. Irrevocable. Okay? So if you make a good confession in your resolve to be better, of course there's nothing holding you back from being exactly as holy as God made you to be. And the saint is the one who gets up one more time than so the number of times that they fell down. Okay, that's the saint. Okay, um, one more time than the number of times that you uh, that you fell. That's what it means to be a saint. Now I'll leave you with one more story. Okay, I told you I would leave you with an up note. This is an up note. Okay. Uh, it might not sound like an update when I start. I mean, like, Father, why are you bringing this down here? But keep drinking, you know, and I'll get to the end. Okay? Um, now, again, in seminary, I, my best friend in seminary, a fellow named Adam from Ogdensburg, New York, Bishop Laverty confirmed him, you know, as, uh, as a young man. And so Adam and I went through all this time in seminary together at St. Charles, and we were really, really close friends. Spent all kinds of time together, talked all the time, all of this stuff. He was a really good man, a prince of a man, just like a, a priestly heart. He's a wonderful guy. I mean, he would do anything for anybody. He would listen, and he would nod his head, and even when he was being really stupid, you know, he would nod his head, and nod his head, and nod his head, and then he'd say, that's just stupid. You know? um, uh, but he loved working in, in parishes. We would do our, our field work on Thursdays, and go out to parishes or a hospital or something like that. He loved doing all that. He was great at it. He was, he was going to be a tremendous priest. And so we, we went home, you know, our last, uh, before our last year of seminary, we all got ordained, we came back, uh, fall semester in seminary, and then we went away for uh, winter break, came back, I remember sitting in Adam's room, and I said, um, Adam, I can't wait to get out of here. You know, just like three months away from getting out of here, four months away from getting out of here. And he said, Schultz, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Uh, and the week, week later, you know, he said he wasn't feeling very well. 
And you know, he didn't come to class or to mass the next day. Um, and he was a deacon, so he was supposed to go off to his parish to preach on the weekends. So he went to the parish, even though he was sick, the pastor turned and sent him home. He said, you're sick, go home, go to the doctor. And so he came home. And we're like, Adam, come on, you know, we're gonna get you to the doctor. He said, look, I'll go tomorrow, I'll go tomorrow to, you know, I can go to this doctor, I'll get this doctor in town here, go tomorrow. Um, so I said, all right, okay. Uh, so he wasn't in chapel the next morning, he wasn't in mass, he wasn't in class. And the infirmarian went to check on him. Well, it turned out he was a lot more sick than anybody knew, okay? He had died during the night. And it was so sad. You know, I mean, it was like, if you can imagine in your family, like losing somebody as, as horrible as that is, as heartbreaking as it is, in, in a place like the seminary, that grief is not contained. You know, it is not contained. And, uh, you know, there's a chapel full of men who are weeping, weeping about this. You know, and so we went up to the funeral in Augensburg, glorious cathedral up there. Um, and I was the deacon uh, at his funeral and saw his poor parents, you know, um, his siblings, the diocese, you know, the, the cathedral was packed. It probably, set, uh, probably seated, you know, a thousand, fifteen hundred people. It was just packed because it was the only, Adam was going to be the only guy who they, who they, uh, who they ordained in, in the past seven years. And so he really was, you know, they always say when you're in somebody, you're the hope of the church. You know, he really was the hope of the church at Augensburg, right? And there's a point in your priesthood when you're not the hope anymore. Like, you know, somebody else is the hope, right? Like, now, now Father Vicaro is the hope. And I'm not the hope anymore. I'm just, like, you know, been ordained a while. Um, but, you know, this, this funeral was, I mean, it was tremendously, indescribably sad. There was a woman who was at that funeral who had become blind, you know, and it was this inexplicable thing. It was just one of these things, old and her side went. She just had become, became blind, and the doctors couldn't do anything, couldn't explain it, couldn't do anything for her. She'd been living with this for a couple of years, anyway. And she prayed for Adam's intercession that her sight would be restored, okay? And so a couple of weeks after the funeral, when we got back to seminary, trying to get on with our lives. And when I'm sitting there looking at the chapel, and all I see is brokenness and darkness and sadness, you know, among all the people there. And I was steeped in it, too. It was, it was terrible. I, got, I heard, you know, from... Uh, the vocation director up in Augensburg. And he said, there, that woman, this woman who's blind, she prayed for Adam's intercession, and she got her sight back. She went to the, she got her sight back, and she went to the doctor, and the doctor said, I can't explain this. And she, and she went to the bishop and said, this is what I did, I prayed for Adam's intercession. Okay? Uh, I heard about it. You know, what do we say when prayers are answers like that? Like, hey, Adam, please pray for me. What do we say? Like miracles that are attributed to the fact that the person is actually in heaven, right? All right. So, look, I don't know that there's any canonization going to take place of Adam. I wish, wish there would be, you know. But if, but if they had to interview me as his best friend, you know, thinking what I know about saints, you know, all the saints I've read about, the heroic virtue, all of that, the holiness, you know, I don't know that I would say that he was a saint. Okay, but then I realized that I've got to change my thinking about what it means to be a saint. This is a guy who went to seminary right after high school. How, how rare is that? This is a guy who just, he wanted to do God's will. So he did that undergraduate philosophy. He went through all those years of seminary. He did three or four different seminaries, but he kept on moving around. Different place seminaries up north kept on closing down, so he finally ended up, in, ended up in Philly. This is just a guy who wanted to do God's will with his life. And the Lord took him. You know, we think before his time. Well, maybe that's exactly, you know, what the Lord Intended. The Lord knows what he's about. He really does. And so this made me think I've got to change my thinking about what it means to be a saint. You know? That it's not just uh, for us who might, you know, be sitting in the chapel and reading books all the time and doing nice things and, you know, rescuing puppies and <laughs> things like that. You know? But it's not that. It's just like I want, I, I see the value in doing God's will. I want to pursue it. I want to do it. And persevering in that. No matter what the difficulties, no matter what the sin, no matter what the weakness that we may have, it doesn't change us. It just, it, we are sons and daughters of the Most High God in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. We sin, sure. That doesn't make you less God's son or God's daughter. That makes you God's son or God's daughter making bad decisions, right? Okay, but it doesn't make you any less. It doesn't take your dignity away, right? It doesn't really change you. Okay, so we can all be saints. This is exactly what we are made for. It's possible. We need to encourage each other in this regard. We need to claim it. We need to strive.
Okay? So I hope that these things that I've told you about us and our human nature kind of help you, you know, to be the saints that God made you to be. Right? Now is it time for questions? Father, why are you wearing this suit coat that's so enormous on yourself, on your person? Okay, well, uh, after, uh, when I got ordained, okay, when I got ordained, I didn't weigh too much, I weighed three much. Okay, get it? Right. Okay, so I lost, I don't know, now, uh, 60, almost 70 pounds, okay? And it's funny that if a guy puts on a lot of weight after after, after getting ordained, Vaccaro, don't do it, okay? Then the joke is, you've got to get ordained again because that's not consecrated matter, buddy. <laughs> oh, God, secret life of priest jokes. <laughs> um, so, um, anyway, that's the reason why. I, I actually forgot my, my the suit coat that fits. I forgot it, helping out another parish. So I had to put the gigantic one on. So that's why I look like a... Like a Priestly ragamuffin up here. Um, so anyway, thank you for your question. Um, um, one other question to make everybody. Anybody? Yeah, yes. Um, I was wondering, can you talk about like the best thing for us to do right now is like giving our hearts to God completely and letting Him love us. But at the same time, don't we also need the love like from other Absolutely. people? Yeah. Like even now while yes. we're discerning or not yet. Sure. Absolutely. Like, it's never between us. It's never between just us and God. You know, we've got to have friends. Um, all the spiritual masters speak about the importance of friendship. Uh, they really do. It's very, very important. I guess what I was trying to frame it as is this thing that we're like, we just trade one infatuation for another, you know, um, which I find a lot of young people get into. And believe me, um, young people, you know, I know there's some of you that haven't grown out of this yet. Okay, they're like, oh, hey, what about him? What about her? You know, all that. Hey, did you see him? Whatever. I don't know. I mean, I know the way you think, okay? Because I was one of you at one point. Um, but yes, friendship is very, very important. You know, it is. I wish, I mean, I don't know if I'm actually going to be able to say this as a high school chaplain, you know, without getting, like, laughed out of the school. Uh, but I don't think that teenagers should date. You know, um, I just don't think that they should. Um, I think they could go out in groups of friends and kind of get to know each other and all that, but I don't think they, do, they, they should be in a particular kind of relationship, okay? I just don't. But the friendship, obviously, very, very, very important, okay? If we don't have friends, we will die. Our souls will just shrivel and die, okay? I give a talk to the Woodbridge Catholic Young Adult Group, represent, come on, woo Yeah. Um, it was about friendship and spiritual friendship, and I called it Theology of the Buddy. <laughs> So more questions. Anybody? Come on, I've never been invited back. Yeah. Okay, yes. Yes. Uh -huh. Okay, that's a great question. It really is. And essentially, if I, if, I can, if I can sum it up, you tell me if I'm wrong. Okay, you're saying, how can we bring other people you know, into this relationship with God? How can we do God's will in that regard? Is that pretty much kind of the question that you're asking? Yeah. Yes, okay, very good. Two thumbs up she gave me, so that's great. Um, so first, um, well, let, uh, who went to Mass today? Okay, let's see who the, who the actual Catholics are. Okay, sorry, that's so mean. Uh, I went to Mass today. 
so the, the, the story of the rich young man. Okay, so the rich young man, he says, good teacher, what, what must I do to be perfect? Okay, Jesus says, why call, why call, any, why call me good? You know, God alone is good. I know I'm sort of paraphrasing here. Um, what have you done? Have you follow the commandments. Okay, yes, you follow the commandments. Well, then, then what you should do is give up everything that you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. And then you will have treasure in heaven. Okay, now we hear that and we think, oh my gosh, what, have I done enough for God? That's one thing. Okay, second thing that we think of is what's God going to ask of me? Okay, let's think about it in this way. God's Jesus is talking about God's will for everybody to live in friendship with Him, to follow the commandments. And then God is speaking about, and Jesus is speaking about His will for that person. You know, whether it's Tom, or Jackie, or Matt, or other guy. <laughs> I'm sorry. I pointed at Zach when I said other guy. I just wanted to get, some, get a laugh. Um, then he has a particular plan for us, okay? So I think that where we begin to literally live the gospel is, yes, we, we strive to live in friendship with God, but we seek what God wants for us. We, we strive to do God's will, that we want what God wants, okay? That we want what God wants. And the devil can't really touch that, okay? If we have that good will, then we're going to be much stronger in the face of temptations. Okay, so then we go out and live our life, right? Now, the, other, the thing that I, can, that I say that we should do that we don't do enough is we should talk about Jesus. We talk about Jesus. Right now, I've got this t-shirt that a priest gave me, and it's got this cartoon taco on it. <laughs> and it says, let's talk about Jesus. <laughs> and uh, I wear it like two or three times a year when I go to the gym. <laughs> and when I'm at the gym, I take a selfie with it. Like, Put it on Facebook, personal bests. Yeah. <laughs> Went to the gym three times this year. Um, let's talk about him. Let's talk about Jesus. He's the most important person in our life, right? The most important relationship we have. We're, we, we seem to be afraid to witness uh, to who Christ is. And we're apologetic. Okay, like Ash Wednesday. You've got a big blotch on your black blotch on your forehead from ashes. And what do you do when somebody says, hey, what's that? Catholic. Oh my gosh! I mean, all the things that you could say in that situation, they would go good. Like you're apologizing for it. That is stupid. Okay? Now I can't say that. I mean, priests can't say this in most in most situations. Okay? I can just say that it is stupid. Okay? If you're gonna have to, if you're gonna say you're Catholic, you better explain why we do certain things. You know, why do we have that ash that ash on our forehead? Because we're sinners, and we need a Savior. And God has come to us. His Son has come to us to teach us who God is and who we are. This is what it means. That He went to the cross for us. That's why He's in the shape of a cross. That He wants to raise us up from this, this state you know, of alienation from Him and from each other. That He has given us life. And we need to be reminded that again and again and again. And that's why I've got ashes on my forehead. Boom. Drop the mic, you know? <laughs> um, and people are like, whoa, okay. There was, I did, I, there was this dude at Our Lady of Angels. He had this dream forehead for Ash Wednesday. <laughs> like, just a little hair around here. And when he came up, I was like, <laughs> And, of course, it was 6.15 mass. He goes off to work, but on the way, he goes to Starbucks. So the lady behind the counter... Um, she, you know, he says, well, I'd like a, I don't know how, I don't even know how to word Starbucks anymore. I like a venti mocha frappiano, whatever. Um, pumpkin spice thing. Um, with peppermint, whatever. Um, so he ordered his drink, and she looked up at his forehead, and she said, is that a tattoo? Okay. So there's like a moment when one may witness. Okay, but the gospel and the actual person of Jesus Christ, like who he is, is so foreign to most people that whatever you say is going to enlighten them. You know? Alright? So good. Anyway, that's that. I, that was a really long roundabout way to answer your question, but an excellent question, really. So, I don't know. We probably have to land the plane here. Alright? Because I'm going to turn back into a pumpkin. Um, uh, I'll take one more question. It's like second grade. I'll take, I can take one more question. And all like 3,000 hands go up like this. Yeah, and then the, and then the kid says, it's my birthday. <laughs> yeah, the best is like, <laughs> the best is like, my birthday was in October. <laughs> it's like April. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> I'm so glad, but you know. Anyway, you have a question, sir? Yes, I do. So I was actually 
wondering that in uh, in your view, do you think that uh, it it is better that uh, we uh, we pray to owe God's uh, will for us, or that we just or that we just be patient and sort of just discover it on our own? What would you say? Well. I would say that as we pray in the Our Father, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, that we take that to heart because God has a particular will for us. Right? So at least it, we're seeking God's will in that fashion. All right, um, and you know God's will comes to us in our vocation, in our state in life, in our job, in our like to the chores that we have to do. You know, there's nothing that's hidden from God's. Uh, gaze. Okay, at the same time, I don't think we should be so scrupulous, like, um, you know, we should think, ooh, should I, you know, get, have the cheese pizza uh, or a box of tacos, and like, that, like God has an opinion about that, you know, because um, I think God is like, well, um, maybe just eat less, you know, that's just me, um, that's just me, but yeah, we, we should be seeking God's will, praying for it, okay, that is a disposition of heart. Okay, now I did two, a few Two Minutes of Virtues videos uh, in February, you know, um, so I'm sort of, like, sort of famous, I don't, know if, I don't know if you know, I'm kind of a big deal, um, I'm just totally kidding. Uh, but they asked me to do this, it was like, they've been through all the other priests in the diocese, and they're like, okay, let's get chills, you know, but one of the things that I was saying in, my, in the Two Minutes of Virtue is the best disposition of heart is to be able to say to the Lord, I want what you want, I want what you want and only what you want. Okay, that if we can continually say that to the Lord, we're going to be holy. Okay? We're going to really grow in holiness. But if we're not there yet, then where we begin is we say, Lord, I want to want what you want. I want to want what you want. Okay? And that's a good place to begin. It's not the worst place. Okay? The worst place is I want only what I want. So, Lord, give it to me. And God's like, well, okay, try back later. Um, okay. Do you have a question, sir? I do, actually. Yes. Um, it's partly for myself and some of you are actually already doing this. Um, a friend of mine is literally traveling across five countries in Asia. I'm literally about to walk the entire Appalachian Trail. Wow. Um, part of the reason that she and I, she and I connect through souls, we are two kindred spirits who just understand each other. Um, something that part of the reason that we are going on these trips is we believe, uh, at least in our agreement the conversation, that we have to know ourselves sure. a bit better and that we are not completely connected to ourselves in order to connect to God. Um, what type of, I guess, counseling or advice or kind of thought would you put to someone who's literally taking six months away from the world to find themselves in order to try and find God? Um. Yeah, you don't get that <laughs> Well, so you're going to walk about for a spell, huh? Yeah. You know, that's a good thing. I mean, I think God has put that on your heart. You know, you're choosing it for a reason. You know, Scripture says all things work for the good of those who love God. Okay, so enter into it with that trust that it's going to be fruitful. Okay. Um, uh, you know, I think as you go along the way, you know, I mean, th perhaps think about experiences here in your life, other things in your life that you really need to put before the Lord. See, um, I mean, I think a lot of things people won't be honest about is the, is the stuff that they've been hurt about. We kind of pack it down, you know, deep down into our souls. And that's what I, again, I always said in seminary, feeling depressed, pack it down, layer of Taco Bell, okay, <laughs> couple of ginglings, you know, just keep packing it down. Uh, didn't do me any good, right? Um, but you've got to, as you're doing this, you're going to have a lot of time to think, a lot of time to reflect, okay? Uh, my, my, the best advice I can give you is keep putting all of this stuff before the Lord, okay, so they don't get trapped in your own head. All right, because knowing oneself is not an end in of itself. Okay, we may know ourselves uh, so that we may know God. Okay, because we cannot know ourselves except in the light of what God has revealed and of what who God is, who He has made us. Okay, so I guess you go on this journey. You're not really alone. Okay, that God is with you, wants to show you. Okay, I do applaud you that y'all. I do applaud the maturity that you're entering into this. You know, relationship with um, that you're not just like you know high schoolers who are like, um, well, I like you, and like, well, I guess I'll like you then because you like me. 
you know, and I did that. I totally did that. Um, went, to the, went to prom with the prettiest girl in school, and uh, it's good she liked me. I thought, I, I guess I'll like her. We're friends on Facebook now. <laughs> um, she really was the prettiest girl in the school. She's still very pretty. And I know I'm just bragging. I mean, I better, uh, I better really wrap it up here. Um, okay, well, let's pray, okay? Redeem the rest of this talk and our evening. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and we shall be. Lord with that, and amen. The Lord be with you. May the Lord draw you into the depths of his sacred heart. May you, show, uh, may you know the joy and the love he has for you, and in you that you belong to him. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God love you all.